You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about Supreme Courts and Sam Smith. I'm Yasmin Lomax. And I'm Micah Hahn. And we are your friendly hosts of this monthly politics and pop culture podcast. Well, I hope we sound friendly because we've had some (laughs) recording difficulties with this episode. Our first time ever. We've never had to start over so many times. (laughs) So I hope we sound as fresh as normal. And we have definitely had a learning experience from this month. Yeah, it's like struggling girl fall right now. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Besides this minor fiasco how has your september been micah uh my september has been wonderful i um officially hit living in montreal for one month um the other day uh i have moved here for grad school and really enjoying it loving being on the east coast i've been to new york once already um have partaken in many fall activities like apple picking (gasps) to which the result of was i had so many apples that i made cake and then just gave it to anyone who would take it that's um, a good way to make friends in a new city. Oh, yes. I'm making so many friends by feeding them. That's how you got me. Yeah, it's true. Um, there we go. Yeah. So it's been good. How about you? Also good. I moved as well. For anyone who doesn't know, I now live in the US. So Micah and I are in the same time zone and same continent, which brings mm-hmm. us one step closer to that in-person reunion where you will hear a podcast that we've recorded in the same room together. I am currently in New Hampshire where I'm staying with some friends and I love being back in New England. It's very fall at the moment, struggling girl fall, but also happy girl fall Mm -hmm. because the leaves are turning orange and they're dropping and it's so beautiful. So I'm very, very happy. I have also had some time to do some reading, watching and listening of things this month. And I would like to tell you all about them. The first some things I've read. I really enjoyed the novel The Light We Lost by Jill Santopolo. It begins in New York City in the early 2000s. And if you've been following this podcast, you will know that is very much my jam. And it follows Gabe and Lucy who meet on 9-11 and the events of that day really serve as the catalyst for their lives and their relationship. That aspect of it didn't sit very well with me. I felt it was a little bit forcibly romanticized and for people who have personal connections with that could possibly find it quite offensive Mm -hmm. moving on from that the story follows them as they begin this epic relationship that's interrupted when Gabe gets a job as a photojournalist in Iraq and Lucy chooses her career in New York City more than a decade of push and pull follows and it's a very when Harry met Sally slash sliding doors tale that culminates in a massive decision for Lucy It is a little bit cheesy, and as I mentioned, some might find it offensive, but it really hit me in the feels in a very call-me-by-your-name way, and it brings up the question of how much you should follow your heart and trust in love, and how that can affect the trajectory of your entire life. So, definite food for thought Mm -hmm. there. I also read and enjoyed the most recent installment of the Caroline Calloway saga (laughs) that has consumed a small portion of the internet, a small but passionate portion Mm -hmm. of the internet, I should add. If you've never heard the name Caroline Calloway and you want the full story, check out our January 2019 episode where I give a thorough rundown. But essentially, Caroline is an NYU student who went to Cambridge 
and wrote very long, very whimsical Instagram captions about her time there and got a book deal out of it. She couldn't fulfill the book deal and that caused a lot, a lot of backlash. And she made the news again earlier this year when she organized a series of creativity workshops around the US that turned into a bit of a fire fest. So a story was published on The Cut earlier this month called I Was Caroline Calloway by Natalie Beach, who is Caroline's former friend and says she was also her ghost writer slash editor. It's very interesting and relatable Mm -hmm. in that Natalie portrays Caroline as this shining beacon of a friend who demanded a lot of attention and emotional labor and wasn't able to return it. And I think we've all experienced an unbalanced and unhealthy friendship like that. But the discussion around it has been really interesting in that people are saying that is just Natalie's perception and is it really fair to expose somebody in that way, especially somebody who has been through a lot in the media. So I really enjoyed the discussion around that. Obviously, there is a lot of insensitive people out there, but I think there's also been some really sensitive and thorough discussion Mm -hmm. around that. So I'm sure we'll post about it on our Instagram very soon, which is at DTCBS podcast. And I would love to hear all of your thoughts on this story. I'd also love to hear what you've been reading this month. Uh, I actually have not been reading all that much this month. Uh, School has taken over my life. Um, I have read thousands and thousands of pages of academic writing already. Um, And maybe at the end of the semester, I'll tell you about my favorite things that I learned. But hopefully in October, I will tell you about the things that I have read for fun. I'm very excited for October, not just for Halloween (laughs) then, to hear about your books. Uh, Have you watched anything interesting? I have. I um, had the unfortunate luck of getting sick right as I got here. And so I had the chance to watch a lot of good stuff. So I guess that was worth it. Um, I watched Fleabag just like the week before it won its many, many Emmys. It was absolutely wonderful. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a genius. Um, Yasmin talked about it uh, a couple months ago on the podcast, and she described it a bit. We're giving it a second endorsement, for sure. Um, And then I went into Phoebe Waller-Bridge withdrawal and decided to watch Crashing, which is the show she actually wrote at the same time as um, Fleabag. And it's about these group of friends who live in an old hospital as caretakers. And Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character Lulu comes to town and crashes with her best friend, with whom she's had a lot of sexual tension with it with. But oh, yeah, I know, but team. he's engaged. Especially her specialty. Yeah, sexual tension that you're not yes. allowed to have. Hot priests, engaged best friends. This is a very similar it. humor to Fleabag, but it's not as dark, I think, is the best like way to differentiate them. And Fleabag right. is, like, because it's dark, is better. Um, the other thing I watched, which is not nearly as good, and you can't judge me for because I was very sick, is that I watched Tall Girl. Oh, I won't judge you. I watched this as well. So Let's it's a discuss. Netflix special movie about a girl in junior high who is very tall. As the name would suggest. Um, and she uh, like wants to find love. And I think the best way to describe it is through this like plot anecdote that happens, which is a spoiler for the end of the movie. So if you're very invested in Tall Girl, I would skip ahead a minute if you haven't seen it. Um, and so her best friend, who's like madly in love with her, carries around 
this milk crate. And you're like, that's super weird. And he like puts his books in it. He like straps it across his shoulder, but like its width is bigger than his hips. Like he's, it's very large and very strange. And so at the end of the movie, she chooses him over the exchange student, as one would expect in a, like a kind of typically mildly sexist storyline. Um, anyways, uh, and she says jokingly, I like really like you, but I like you need to get rid of the milk crate. And he says, but don't you know why I carried it around? And he flips it over, stands on it like a step stool and oh, kisses her. No, no, no. Oh, the memory know, of it is making so me cringe bad. so much. Because I could the whole time I just thought it was a yeah, quirky like, character thing. And then just as it was about to happen, mm-hmm. I could see it and I was powerless to stop it. And it hurt me on a deep, deep physical level. I was also very hurt by the fact she was like mm-hmm. the tall girl and was relentlessly bullied at school and seemed to be a total freak by all the other cool teens. But she was yeah. only like six foot one, which obviously comparatively is tall for a girl. But the camera angles they were using made it look like she was... 10 feet tall and everyone else was about four foot and it was it was very strange it made no sense to me and the teens on tiktok who are ripping it apart yeah they they mm-hmm. have my they have my vote what have you been watching okay. this month i finally started Shit's creek very late to the party but if you're also mm-hmm. late it is about a very rich family who lose all their money and have to move to a rural town they brought as a joke years ago which is called you guessed it Shit's creek and hijinks ensue. You've probably seen it gift very heavily on Twitter, and that's why I love it. It is just ridiculous and very funny and a very easy, hilarious watch. So I'm mm-hmm. going to recommend that this fall. I believe the final season is showing on Amazon Prime at the moment, so or Amazon Video or whatever we're calling it. So I recommend you go watch it if you want some giggles this October or fall in general. Have you been listening to anything good this month, Micah? I have. I had the amazing, wonderful, mind-blowing experience of finally seeing Vampire Weekend live. The dream. Um, It was a wonderful thing to do. I maybe cried a little bit while it was happening. um, Because Vampire Weekend is one of those bands that I've listened to for so long now like a decade essentially and I have listened to with not just like on my own but with so many important people in my lives in my life that like in my lives I've lived many lives lives. I'm a cat that's the plot twist Mike has been a cat the whole time this whole time (laughs) um yeah I uh yeah so listening to it um live was kind of surreal i think is the best way to describe it um and maybe vampire weekend isn't that band for you but i everyone has that band yes. that they like absolutely loved as a child and a teenager and as like a mild adult i think that's the best a mild adult a mild adult <laughs> we're not real ones yeah we're mild um yeah and so everyone should go see that band live i totally concur for me that would be the strokes i guess unlike you i've had not very many friends to share that with Mm -hmm. but it's more I mean I'm 
I've seen them a few times this year and every time I've seen them it's been in a new city and it has just been such a beautiful experience and I think of the 14 year old who had no friends and Mm -hmm. would listen to the strokes and like hang up the posters in her bedroom and I feel like oh I'm doing this for you I am in Paris singing along (laughs) and I bet you didn't think we would get here but here we are so totally agree with that Mm -hmm. have you listened to anything else this month yeah um I haven't listened to a huge amount of new stuff but Charlie Puth um came out with I think he's starting to come out with the singles for his new album and warned myself which is I think the first single is wonderful it's just as creative and poppy and fun but like slightly sexy like the past album it's great um the last one was really good you turned me on to that yeah I really enjoyed it what have you been listening to well as I alluded (laughs) (laughs) concert oh my god I literally sound like a parody of myself with this, but I saw The Strokes and Interpol again this month. Really? I want somebody to make starter packs of us and this podcast, and I mm-hmm. feel like they would feature very heavily in the Yaz starter pack. As always, they are fantastic, but I would like some new music recommendations mm-hmm. because if I come back one more month and say this, people will not be happy. I think... As we kind of said with the Vampire Weekend talk, I've had my ultimate favorite five or so bands for a very, very long time. And I just want to experience finding that artist again. Mm -hmm. Like Ryan Reynolds tweeted recently, Fleabag is so good, I wish I'd never seen it. And I would like that with music again. So Mm -hmm. please hit me up at DTCBS Podcast on Instagram with some music recommendations. Unless you've been living under a rock, you probably saw this month that images emerged of Justin Trudeau in black and brown face on multiple occasions when he was a teen and a young adult, or a mild adult, as we like to call it now. It's our new term. Yeah, it is. Um, So it's the middle of the Canadian election here, so this revelation is um, potentially election-changing. It should be noted that the um, pictures were of brown face, Um, So him dressing up as Aladdin as a teacher and blackface. um, It's a video of him dressing up as a Jamaican caricature in high school. Um, What years are we talking about? We're talking, I think the Aladdin case was very early 2000s and the blackface was um, like, therefore like late 80s, early 90s, mid-90s, sometime around then. Um, So like in recent-ish memory, um, and so I thought today it would be really useful to talk about the politics of blackface and its history to maybe contextualize it a little bit and then um, talk whether or not um, blackface is something that affects people's votes um, or and specifically whether it's lo- looking like it'll affect Canadians' votes because this is an interesting test case. Um, so, yeah. All right, let's get to it. So the history of blackface in the U.S. Um, blackface is the practice of painting one's face black in an attempt to exaggerate the characteristics of black people. So it's to show them as a caricature. Um, It started as an important part of minstrel shows. Um, The first minstrel show was performed in the 1830s in New York. um, And this had white actors darkening their faces 
and doing racist caricatures of slaves on Southern plantations. Um, the National African American Art Association, I think is the acronym, we'll link their um, article about blackface below, says that um, blackface in this time characterized blacks as lazy, ignorant, superstitious, hypersexual, and prone to thievery and cowardice. So these um, performances changed how people in the North and then later in the South perceived black people, and so therefore changed um how they, what rights they thought they should have and how they perceived them as human beings um, or how they didn't perceive them as human beings more accurately. And so this same organization and piece that we'll link um, says that the influence of minstrelsy and racial stereotyping on American society cannot be overstated. New media ushered minstrel performances from the stage or across radio and television airways and into theaters. And so this um, blackface and caricature of black peoples becomes... Um, an important part of American culture. And so this perception of um, African-Americans as lesser than and lesser than in specific ways becomes kind of an accepted reality. And then we see this in things other than um, like media, visual and audio media and things like those um, small statues of like Aunt Jemima or Auntie May um, and uh other forms of art that caricatures black people for the aesthetic value or yeah no I know what you mean I think even when I was younger as recently as that I remember seeing some very offensive mm-hmm. dolls in stores that were just bought for children yeah um and so minstrel shows are very popular and spread out across the U.S. Um, but they don't just stay below the 49th parallel, a.k.a. the Canadian-American border. Um, the history of blackface in Canada it also runs very deep um, and should be remi- remembered as part of history, Canada's history of racism, which often gets forgotten in this kind of current understanding of Canada as being like the cool country that's above racist U.S. Um, so... A not at all fun fact about this is that the Canadian man who wrote the hymn that became O Canada, our national anthem, was actually a minstrel performer who spent many years oh, God. I know, in the U.S. and in Canada performing in blackface. So he was very much a part of this typifying and characterizing of black people in this negative way. Um, so minstrel shows, as demonstrated by this man, were very popular in Canada. So the first... Um, Shows came to Canada in the 1940s, um, and sometimes when people talk about blackface, they like to talk about how like it was acceptable then, and now we know it's not acceptable, but you can't judge people in the past for doing it. Well, it turns out that in 1843, so only a few years after um, minstrel shows come to Canada, black Torontonians started to petition the city to get blackface banned in the city because they already saw it as offensive. Wow. Okay. Um, and so there are actually quite a few wonderful Canadian scholars who study blackface in Canada um, and found uh, Loreline Elmer Louise found, uh, LeCamp found hundreds of documented cases of minstrel performances in Canada from the 1840s to the 1960s. Um, wow. Yeah. And these included not just what you would think as typical performances, um, 
but of like traveling groups, but also performances done by charitable organizations, religious groups, schools, and members of the military and law enforcement. Wow, so it's kind of, that's awful. Yeah, it's a pervasive part of Canadian culture and how mm. um, people entertained themselves. Um, the other thing that's interesting about blackface in Canada is that it um, most people say that it became taboo after it became taboo in the U.S. Um, yeah, wow. so it's a slightly different context here. And I think Phil, um, Philip Howard at McGill does a really good job of explaining why and how blackface is unique in Canada. Um, and he, in one of his papers, he talks about how actually in Canada, um, there's been a resurgence of popularity of blackface um, in the last like five or six years. Um, a lot of oh, these wow. resurgences have happened in universities and in high schools. So the one that comes to mind for okay. me is um, Queen's University, which is kind of like the party school of Canada. Um, yeah, uh, they had one of their unofficial frats had a like around the world party and different groups came dressed as different people. So they were um, a group dressed as Jamaican um, people with full on blackface. Um, also people dressed as like Buddhist monks in yellow face and um, other. And I think there's some like Chinese or Japanese caricatures as well. Um so, and this was seen as just like a fun party trick um, mm. and like a cool theme for your drunken Saturday night. Um, and it hit Canadian right. media a little bit, but it was addressed in a really interesting and kind of not head on way. And so, Philip Howard argues that um, Canada views itself as post racial. And so, um, right. when it, when these instances occur, they're seen as, um, things from the past, um, and like outside and like one-off incidences that don't actually reflect anything about Canadian society. And he argued, yeah, yeah. And I guess if your view is like post-racial and you're not doing that education mm -hmm. and that this is wrong and it has racist histories, people are doing it in these one-off instances without the contextual knowledge that comes with it. And that's probably why they're doing it because they don't realize that it's an awful thing to do mm -hmm. um so he argues that when we in see cases of blackface in canada and the media and people delegitimize it or don't take it seriously mm. um mm. it perpetuates anti-blackness and so it actually feeds yeah. in to these um stereotypes and i think he kind of talks about a little bit how part of the reason why this happens is Canada sees race as being an outside force. So a lot of these caricatures are of um, not of like African Canadians, um, which there are many of, and Canada has its history of slavery, but also slaves who came from the U.S. to settle in Canada. Um, but most of mm -hmm. these uh, caricatures and instances of blackface are of Jamaican people, um, of which there's a huge diaspora in Canada. So it right. like creates a division between um, white Canada, which is seen as, um, as uh, former Prime Minister Stephen Harper called it, old stock Canadians, um, mm -hmm. and the other people who come to this country and are seen as not accepted. So there's like multiple levels in blackface in Canada that is right. um, 
more complex than just like a history of putting on minstrel shows. And it's complex. Like the sure. American context is complex, but this is complex in a different way. In a yeah. different way. Yeah, for sure. Um, the other thing that should really, really be noted is that um, not only did Justin Trudeau participate in blackface, but he participated in brownface. So we dressed up as someone okay. from the Middle East. Um, and in this wonderful article that we will also like um, link below in the show notes, um, this author talks about um, the concept of Orientalism. So Orientalism is um, the practice of kind of reifying and um, inscribing certain exotic features to people of the Orient. So the Orient is kind of an expansive term that like encompasses the Middle East and Asia. Um or the Middle East and the Far East, as they used to be called, and it's part mm-hmm. of colonialism. So when the British and the French went to these other places and took them as colonial um, possessions, essentially, um, Orientalism became very popular as a way to kind of see the people from these nations as objects to be curated and not as people in their own right. Oh. Um, okay. So having this kind of like Arabian Nights themed dance that Justin Trudeau went to sees um, people from the Middle East as not full like beings and character and as caricatures of themselves um, in the same, okay. in a same but different way that like traditional blackface does. And this is especially um, salient because of, um, the fact that Canada is such a um, multicultural, or not even mul- multicultural might be the wrong word, but there's so much diversity of ethnicity and race in Canada. And a lot of that diversity comes from, especially in Vancouver, where this incident occurred, comes from um, the Middle East and, the, and Asia. And I suppose for anyone who's wondering the difference between this and let's say someone holding a St. Patrick's Day party or a 4th of July party where everyone dresses up as caricatures of Irish people or American people is yeah, colonization, Yeah, so it's the history right? of people who have power um, using yes. the people who are powerless as forms of entertainment. Um, okay. And that form of entertainment denigrating those people. Right. So have has anyone else been involved in black or brown yeah, face? Yeah, so we've scandals? seen this happen quite a few times in the states. Um, CNN has a list of major politicians who participate in blackface. Um, what's interesting to note about those instances were almost all of them were people dressing up as known um, figures. So people dressing up like Michael Jackson or like Prince or one, um, I think it was governor, dressed up as his best friend who was black. Um, very odd. Um, what a strange, like, I can't imagine what a that, that was. Like, dress up as your best friend? Or Who knows? Um, thing to do. And the list doesn't mention Brett Kavanaugh, the now Supreme Court Justice, who, because technically he didn't do blackface, but he did, pretend, like, obviously he was wearing a mask, but he potentially dressed up as a KKK member beside someone who was wearing blackface. Um, We tend to forget about that incident because of the other horrible things that Brett Kavanaugh is accused of, Um, but that's something to keep in mind. Um, The majority of those instances 
the um, politician denied that it happened or oh. denied that it was wrong. Um, okay. This, yeah. And the Trudeau situation, how is that similar or different? Um, so the Trudeau situation is very different. One, he accepted that it happened. Not only that, but he – technically there are three incidences of blackface because he says that he can recall one more incident, but there's no footage of it. Um, so there's been a little bit of a furore over him – not being able to recall yes. how many incidents. So Am I he right? He said, "He said I'm not entirely sure. I have told you the ones that I have." And then he made this kind of. Some would say it's snide, but that's a political um, opinion. But he made a comment saying, "You know my love for costumes." Dot dot dot. And this is hearkening back to the time he went to India and oh um, no, wore traditional Indian clothing to a bunch of meetings, um, which. I, I found personally to be doubly insulting because that way he was insinuating that when he was wearing Indian clothing, he was wearing a costume and not participating in a culture, which are two very different things. Yes. Because I think he got forgiven for that incident, which I believe was last year. Um, yes, so. Because everyone kind of thought, oh, he was gifted these beautiful yeah. outfits and the poor guy turned up wearing them and then no one else was and he was just trying to be respectful and it came across as very strange and awkward. So it's not nice if that's what he was alluding to now mm -hmm. to call them a costume in the same way that these were yes. costumes. Um, but despite that comment, he did very much say that not only did he do it, but that it was wrong. So I'm quoting here, he said, darkening your face regardless of the context or the circumstance is always unacceptable because of the racist history of blackface. I should have understood that then, and I should have, uh, and I never should have done it. Um, so we really got out in front of this, and he said it the like day after it came out, and they canceled all of their election stuff. Um, and so the question is, for these other politicians that I mentioned in the states, nothing really happened, um, especially Brett Kavanaugh. Um, but in Canada. Um, People have obviously done a huge amount of polling because it's the middle of the election. And I think the National Post headline sums it up the best. Um, they ask, how do Canadians react to Judo's uh, blackface? With a big meh, polls find. And that's about... What a great yeah, headline. That's about what happened. So 20% of Canadians thought it was inexcusable. Um, but 50% of Canadians said that apology was enough and that we should move on. For his own base, 67% um, of liberals... Um, that's his party, said uh, the apology was enough, and only 1% said that he should step down. Um, yeah, so that's the Canadian election. Something to note is that um, this is the first um, election that I can think of, and maybe potentially ever, where a person of color is running as the head of a um, national party. So Jagmeet Singh is the head of the New Democratic Party. Um, so that changes the context a little bit, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't actually recall what he's, I don't know if he addressed it or if what he said. Before we wrap up, I think it's important to also note that we are two white women and have tried to stay informed about the situation and the opinions of people of color who have been affected by this. But if you think we said something wrong, we are very um, open to being wrong about this. Um, and, and we're definitely open to learn yes. more. We've tried to be as sensitive as possible, but as Micah said, this is not our experience. And if there's something we should know and we should be 
educated on and we should be telling others of please please get in touch with us so please get in touch with us and if you are canadian please go vote on october 21st so this september i couldn't help but wonder are we entering a new age of influence it's something i've been thinking about over the last few months because Mm -hmm. in my opinion instagram has been feeling quite samey I'm going to say Instagram because it's the platform with the most influence and in certain parts of the world, its celebrities are more influential and beloved than those of traditional media. So, for example, in Ireland, the Instagram influencers will be on the cover of women's Mm -hmm. magazines way more often than a TV star, let's say. Um, But for me, I've been scrolling through and it seems to be the same beautiful woman wearing the same Mm -hmm. type of beautiful outfit, doing the same pose in front of the same landmark. And, you know, we've even seen brands sending influencers the same dress and asking them to post it at the same time on the same day. And I think it contributes to this homogeny. It really feels like there's not a lot of breakthrough new content mm-hmm. on there. Have you experienced this at all in your Instagram journey? Um, A little bit, yeah. I, like, have – I curated my Instagram to be, like, activists and body positive people and people I love. And so – right. I love that. Um, I, I actively avoid it, but by actively avoiding it, I realize that it happens all the time. Yeah, it. I think we're just people know what content performs mm-hmm. and what is successful, and we're seeing more and more of that. And I think I'm not sure if this was Instagram's motivation, but for me, it seems like tweaking the like feature could be a way that has changed this. So they're actually testing this out in countries like Ireland and Australia and Canada. But basically, you won't be able to see how many likes other people's photos get. You can see how many likes your own get if you click into them. So it is a little bit more complicated, actually. Um, And it's not something, you know, since I've been posting then, I have rarely, if ever, checked how many likes my own photos get. So a spokesperson for Instagram told Time that they were testing out the change because they want your followers to focus on the photos and videos you share, not how many likes they get, which I'm kind of reading as an attempt to shake up the app. You know, it's encouraging different content to reduce user fatigue. And it's got me wondering if we'll see photos posted that are just for fun rather than meeting the predetermined criteria that generates likes. And then that's got me thinking, will we see a different type of influencer Mm. or celebrity? So one article that I guess fed my musings on this is called Who Would Tavi Gevinson Be Without Instagram? And it is by Tavi Gevinson and it is for the cut. Um, If you don't know, Tavi began as a teen fashion blogger when she was very young before launching Rookie when she was about 15, which was an online magazine about empowering teenagers. So that folded at the end of last year and um, before that and continuing since she's been involved in acting. So in some movies and some plays in New York City. And she's also been working on, I believe, a book at the moment. And yeah. And then in this article, she outlined her Instagram journey in four acts. So she had the Polaroid, which was that, I guess, initial phase of Instagram where we were all using the Valencia filter on pictures of coffee. And Mm -hmm. then there was the influencer phase. So for her, that was when she had a hashtag SponCon apartment in New York. Basically, she got a free apartment to live in for a year in exchange for posts about how cool it was to promote the building. 
So, I mean, I could get on board with that. Um, Then she had the professional, which is a stage I think a lot of people have gone or are going through, which is the posting of pictures of maybe their work or articles they've written or events they've gone to very glossy professional photos that would i guess improve you in the eyes of an employer Mm -hmm. and now she's in her fourth act which she calls the relatable and that's the one i'm going to touch on most so she posted some funny videos earlier this year testing out a theory she heard that instagram favors content with faces so basically, if you post a picture or a video with your face in it, it'll perform better. It'll be shown to more people and it will get more likes than a picture of a sunset, let's say. Mm-hmm. So when she started doing that, she was invited to meet with Eva Chen, who is Instagram's director of fashion partnerships, who told her that, you know, it isn't true. The, il- the algorithm acts as an invisible hand and it pushes content that it believes your followers will find most interesting. So if you personally have been liking lots of pictures with people's faces in, and that's when those ones will come up more likely on your timeline. It's not a default setting, Mm -hmm. but I think a lot of people would like pictures of faces more than other things because that's your friend and you want to see them looking cute. So, so In her article, she says, the Instagram employees also told me that celebrities, models, and influencers had recently been coming to them, wanting to know why their casual selfies outperform their posed red carpet photos and editorial shoots. Chen explained that aspirational photos did better a few years ago, but now users crave posts that seem to be behind the scenes. Candid. People want to see you letting your hair down. So she ended the article with this, saying that Forbes and a handful of social media marketing websites echo that appetites are changing. People are sick of unrealistic lifestyle and picture-perfect aesthetics, they say. The next era of Instagram is all about the relatable influencer, with trends like hashtag no makeup, hashtag no filter, hashtag mental health, hashtag body image, and Instagram versus reality memes. And they're definitely things I've been seeing more of on Mm -hmm. Instagram over the past year or so. I think another thing that points to this relatability on Instagram becoming more of an aspect is the popularity of TikTok. So teens love this platform. If you don't know, it's a bit like Vine. You can make very short videos and it has its own sense of humor built into it, its own Mm -hmm. kind of subculture. It has more than 1.2 billion downloads and it helped launch the career of Lil Nas X and we did touch on this on our episode The Politics of Pride in Old Town Road if you want to have a listen to that um, it does have like I think what makes it relatable is that it has the lowbrow production aesthetic that YouTube and Instagram ori- yeah. originally had before they got appropriated by people who were using it as their careers and it celebrates messiness it's all about relatable things that happen to us in our daily lives and laughing because yeah somebody else does that same ridiculous stupid thing Mm -hmm. so if relatability is the thing and it's here to stay I guess the question now to ask is is this a good thing Mm -hmm. so an argument for yes is the recent coverage of Jonathan Van Ness so Jonathan, if you don't know, is one of the stars of Netflix makeover show Queer Eye. 
and he has recently released his memoir over the top and was featured in a new york times article called jonathan van ness of queer eye comes out and in this new york Times articles he talks about his previous sexual abuse using chat rooms to meet up with older men as a teenager binge eating cocaine and methamphetamine use and his hiv diagnosis mm-hmm. and i think the way he's spoken about this mm-hmm. is fantastic i it's really so hope good. We'll see it reduce stigma and encourage conversation. I hope it'll make people feel better about where if they have had similar experiences or are going through similar experiences. And I hope for him that he feels like he doesn't have, he feels better not having to keep in these secrets and that Mm -hmm. he's doing fantastic work with this. So in that way, I think, yes, being honest about the experiences that you have is a a really great thing because it can really help yourself and other people. I think another good example is Taylor Swift's recent Rolling Stone cover story where she got real. She had a, a a lot of, a, a lot of messy personal coverage. So one of the questions that was asked was, does she regret the way the girl squad thing was perceived? So the girl squad thing was when she went sort of through a period of posting about her squad of very beautiful and successful friends. So, you know, they were celebrating 4th of July together in this mansion in Rhode Island, or they were walking the Victoria's Secret runway. And basically Taylor responded by saying, yeah, I never would have imagined that people would have thought this is a clique that wouldn't have accepted me if I wanted to be in it. Holy shit, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, oh, this did not go the way I thought it was going to. So basically she was trying to do a good thing. She was trying to show people that women can be friends with each other and they can support each other and lift each other up. But the way it was perceived by other people was that it was showing off in a way. And I think this happens a lot. So without realizing it, influencers, celebrities often portray images that are so unattainable that they make people feel bad about themselves. And in this case, people are thinking, why don't I have 10 beautiful friends to spend the 4th of July with together? And it doesn't feel good. And I think when people stop forcing perfection, they can create something that's a bit more inclusive. And to use our word of the day, relatable. And I think that creates a kinder space for people. On the other hand, I do think there is negatives to this candor on the internet. Um, So the example I'm going to use yet again is Caroline Calloway. So when Natalie's article was published, the one I spoke about in our reading segment of the show, Caroline went on a bit of a posting spree on Instagram. She cataloged all the captions that Natalie helped write and the ones that she helped write. She shared articles that were written about she herself, Caroline, and about how she was a scammer and her thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. Her father sadly passed away during this time and people accused her of making this up, which is just beyond awful. And she was posting screenshots of the messages that she was getting or the comments that were being written about that and I can understand where she's coming from in a way I think maybe documenting things help some people process events but I think it's a little idealistic to think that the internet is the best place for that to occur because it's lovely to think that you would post these things on the internet and everyone would be really encouraging 
But in reality, you get people saying some really awful things as they did with Caroline Calloway. And I think it could also be triggering for some people to see someone processing something. And I think when people, oftentimes when people are going through something that is quite difficult, they can feel and then say and do things that are not helpful to others in that situation because obviously all the feelings that you're not that you're having there are not healthy Mm -hmm. so yeah I from for me personally I think documenting important maybe not publicly and maybe not with an audience that we're not always sure is helpful yeah I feel like documenting that you've like hit a low um Mm. after the fact when you're out of that period is like wonderful and very helpful um because I think especially with the stigma around mental health discussing it is one of the wonderful things that like social media has brought to us but documenting it while you're in it um probably is not healthy for you and not helpful for other people who might get like triggered by it um like yeah I agree I their own but yeah personally for me I would prefer to come out the other end and then post about I think there will be less of a chance of me posting something that I would regret in the future that maybe was a bit too personal um but also I think again personally I think once I've come through something I can frame it in a way that's more helpful Mm -hmm. so I think you know, maybe I would have written this down somewhere privately so I can really remember the feelings and I can let people know that if you're experiencing those things, that's fine. I have too. But I can also add in this nugget of, hey, you get through this and it's okay. Mm-hmm. So that's where I stand on that. I think it'll be interesting to see the future mm-hmm. of influencer and celebrities and whether we're going to see a change in things. Alrighty then, that is another month wrapped up from camp. Different things can be said. Mm-hmm. Micah, what will we be doing until we hear from you next month? Um, I will be continuing during school and studying hard. Um, I will also be doing Thanksgiving, which I'm very excited about. Um, yeah, Canadian Thanksgiving beautiful. is in October. Um, and so many fall things will be happening and hopefully at least one apple pie and one pumpkin pie will be consumed. Love pumpkin pie. Apple pie makes me vomit. So, You're in America, um, the land of apple pie. Yeah, it's. I had two bad experiences in the year, maybe 2003, mm-hmm. where I ate it like twice in one week and vomited both mm. times. And since then, I have never had apple well, pie. So, pie. do you, love a bit you of have some time? Pie. That's you live until November. Yes, I hope I will be eating some pumpkin pie this month. I am excited just to be hanging out in the New England area and sorting out my new life so hopefully i will have more (laughs) updates for you next month if you'd like to follow along on the journey i'm on instagram and twitter at yasmin lomax what about you micah um i am at ms clearwater um where you can find me on instagram and twitter as well on twitter passively aggressively retweeting uh canadian hashtag on brand if you want memes and funny pictures i would recommend following at dtcbs podcast on instagram yes definitely we'll also be having some discussions on this episode um we are really excited to chat with you all in the comments 
Until next time, bye. Bye.